This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Old Bedford Brewing Company. He's Dave Heller. She's Mary Heller. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dave and Mary. Thanks for having us. So we met at the American Whiskey Convention. You were a couple booths down from us. You brought over some samples. And Dawn and I immediately fell in love with your beer and your story and what you're doing. So the question I have on my mind, the question we want to share with everybody is, how did all this get started? Uh, Mary's responsible. It's she, fully she, responsible. Yeah, she bought us, uh, bought me a Mr. Beer Kit about seven or eight years ago. And it, it kind of grew from there into uh, a hobby to... Now we're kind of addicted. Okay. And now when you bought your home brewing kit, like what was your idea, Mary, to buy him a home brewing kit? Was he just, I like beer. This is an idea. What was your yeah. motivation behind or Selfishly, you just wanted to make sure you had enough <laughs> beer at home, right? I just needed to find something for him that he didn't already have. And I tried to find him unique gifts and he likes hobbies. So I thought, oh, this is something that will entertain him for a couple months. And I didn't know it was going to turn into a business and a career. So the first batch, how did it turn out? It was great. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I, you know, at that time, we took a lot of pictures of it. And uh, we have a ranch up here in the mountains in Blue Knob State Park area. And so we have a great backdrop of pictures. And uh, even now, sometimes those pictures will pop up that we had posted on Facebook, you know, way back when. And kind of, it starts, and that was how I captioned it. It starts not knowing that we were going to grow this into an actual business. So your first run turns out great. Do you remember what kind of beer it was? It was just an amber ale. Just an amber ale. Mm-hmm. And it turned out well and didn't, you know, was it that next point where you went out to the homebrew store or started buying equipment? How did it proceed from there? Well, we didn't, we, we were still working, so we weren't retired yet. So this is a retirement job, right? Not much of a retirement job anymore, I guess. But even still, you know, we, I didn't have a whole lot of time to do things. So those Mr. Beer kits were quick, easy. Uh, you know, you can knock some stuff out, get some beers turned around, invite friends over, have a good time with it. Had no idea at the time that we, were, that we would eventually, you know, grow into what we have today. 
Now, you said it's, Mary, it's, this is all your responsibility. Where did you come into the, you know, the next picture? I mean, you're doing the Mr. Homebrew beer kit. You're inviting friends over. But where does this start to become more of a, we should open up a brewery and expand from here? Well, that was when you went and talked to Betty Slayton about uh, the ranch and you were growing hops. And Okay, so you're actually growing hops. Were you growing hops for beer making or was it just ornamental at the time or were you growing it for somebody else? No, we were growing it. We, we started growing it ourselves. See, the issue was is that you're, you're working with a Mr. Beer Kid. Uh, so you're not all grain brewing. Uh, you're basically taking what people have already packaged up for you, put it all in a saucepan and throw some yeast to it, let it ferment. So the issue that I had with it was it just wasn't challenging enough after a while. And since we have, the, we have a 65-acre ranch up in the mountains, we said, well, hey, you know, why not try to do some all-grain stuff? That's whenever uh, things started going downhill with, all right, now I, I need the hops, I need to do other things. And realizing that we'll be retired soon from our other job, you know, what are we going to do going into retirement? So the hops garden was basically, we cut down some locust posts, 18 feet high, follow the directions on the back of the box, right? Get the cables up, and then you put these rhizomes in the ground, put ropes up, and they're supposed to grow. And that's exactly what happened. They grew. So you followed the directions? Follow the directions. You're the first one. Great job. <laughs> and Tom from Penn State. Extension. Um, extension came out and was looking at the hops. He said, these are beautiful. These are better than the ones we have growing at Penn State. These are fabulous. And well, that's high praise. Yeah. It was. It was It was a lot. And at that time, throughout the state of Pennsylvania, Penn State had not developed a hops program yet. They were getting there, but they just had a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, so we were one of the few places growing hops for hopefully some commercial use in the future. Now, what year are we talking as, as all this is happening, or what time frame? So that was a little, it was around five years ago. Okay. Uh, when we so roughly 2016, 2015, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. You're well, homebrewing, making, growing, starting to grow some hops, projecting that you're going to retire? Yeah, 2014. So okay. In 2014. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, all right, so your idea is this isn't challenging enough. I need to start getting my own grain. I need to start doing more. You're now, I guess, getting larger equipment. How does it all transfer to this building we're at today? Yeah, so we, you know, we build out our all-grain Home brewing equipment, you know, pieces and parts, igloo coolers, just like every other home brewer does throughout history, right? And uh, so we get all these pieces of parts together, and then we started making larger batches, different styles, inviting more people over. Mary had her her uh, class reunion out there, and we told everybody, "Look, this is a saison," and most of our yellow beer drinkers didn't know what a saison was. Yellow beer drinkers? Yeah, you know, your Coors Light. Okay. Light, I never know. heard it characterized that way, yellow beer drinkers. Oh. Okay, good. So it, so they were thinking, well, this is fine. We'll just, we named the beers after the Marauders, which Bishop Guilfoyle, where she graduated. And we warned everybody, said, look, you know, these are a little bit higher octane. You're not going to be easy, but it's full of flavor. Um, you're really going to appreciate it. And um, as the night went on, they realized there was a lot of flavor to it without realizing there was a lot of alcohol as well. And uh, by the next day, we had this whole following of people that said, oh, this beer is fantastic. How do we get more of it? Uh, and then it just started to, to blossom out of there where uh, we talked to our local uh, 
business development for Bedford County and said, hey, we got hops. We are thinking of expanding it. And uh, then it came to pass where uh, Betty Slate, who's head of that organization, said, you know what? We don't have a brewery in Bedford. And Mary and I agreed, you don't. And you should. And you should. <laughs> You've been here a long time. You sound like you're very integrated in the community. Yeah, we, uh, we really have a lot of fun with the community. I mean, we're on, uh, the community itself has really embraced this third space, um, you know, which is that phenomenon of what breweries became. Breweries, libraries, coffee shops are that third space. You know, you have your home, you have your work, you have your third space where you get together with friends, families, things of that nature. This just added to that third space uh, environment for the county and Bedford itself. So people embraced it, and that's, that's one of the things that motivated us to, to move this direction. Now, I'm following your story, and it sounds really interesting. I, I, I got this, you know, idea that I used to like building model cars, you know, the the, the, the dragsters, the the funny cars, and I get the sense of that was like your home, you know, home brewing experience. You know, some people just build model cars and they're happy with that. You know, you built the dragster model car, and then you went out and figured out how to drive one of them and race professionally, and that's really what it seems like the transfer for this experience is like. But you sound very detail oriented and very intentional and methodical about every step of the way. Like you want to make sure that the, the, the equipment you have, the materials you have, I mean, they're, they're at a level where you can feel like this is where you want to be for the brewery. That's exactly how he was. And because of that, he never really made a bad batch of beer ever that I've ever tasted. And I've been to a lot of places where they make beer professionally and I've had some bad beers and not a single one of Dave's beers has ever been like and I think it's because he, he is passionate about it. I think that's important. And I, I guess, you know, when you tell that story about having your class reunion and the, you know, the, 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 the response that you get, like, we want more of this. Where do we find more? That's got to give you that big uplifting feel. Like, what was the conversation after that where you really, you know, had that recognition for the both of you? What was that conversation like? Well, I guess it was just the being able to, to check reality, right? So is this something that, uh, that we could do that would have a return on investment, an ROI, uh, that would allow us to still enjoy our retirement but still run a business that can satisfy the needs of the community? And that balancing act is what really was a big challenge as well. So we would have never done this. We wanted to be a, just your corner neighborhood brewery, just like it was, you know, back in you know, pre-prohibition and just right after prohibition throughout the entire state. And we have a wall of, of um, bottles up here from Pennsylvania breweries that no longer exist. But they were all over the place. And we even have a six-pack holder that someone had made with the bottles in it where you could see that they'd be coming home from work, they'd walk in, change out their six-pack for a new six-pack and take that home. Next day, on the way back, home from work they stop off drop off their empty bottles and put new bottles in it and that's what we wanted to be we didn't we didn't look at the distribution model we wanted to be local and it sounds like you have like even on your you know uh, your, your slogan join whiskey you know join the whiskey rebellion drink beer you're on the whiskey rebellion trail there's a lot of whiskey rebellion history here do you feel or is it just your own personal desire to be connected to history here 
And like you said, the wall of you know educating people and say, hey, these are all the breweries that used to be here. This is some of the old bottles. These are some of the old like six pack holders. Mm-hmm. Is that something you find that you're passionate about? Is that something you feel a, a connection to? Um, because you talked about prohibition, pre pre prohibition. So you're really trying to create uh, an experience here. Is that something you really feel connected to? Yes, and, and obviously uh, for us, whenever we were building out our our business plan or what we were gonna, you know, what what are we gonna, what gap are we gonna try to close up, you know, that we see in the community? And one of the big gaps was is it uh, their early, whether it's uh, distilling or. Uh, craft beer or what have you was not really in the county. The county is just prolific with these examples for the distilling portion. Brewing portion, not so much. There's We're the first brewery that we know of that was here in the county since 1794. Uh, this is all distilling, right? So, you know, for us, we wanted to kind of provide that education for everybody. Not only that, but we're agriculture as well. So we wanted to see that grain to glass scenario in our county since agriculture is one of the number one businesses in the county. So that grain to glass philosophy was always behind it and even you know supporting that was the actual history. I mean people didn't whenever we you know planted hops uh, people were really shocked oh you got hops you know is there hops around well there's wild hops that are growing here that said you know that, that folks used to grow you know for their beer and things of that nature. And we've got records for the early 1800s where this county picked 3,000 pounds of hops in a year. No one knew that. What for? Well, you're going to use it for beer because there was really, that was the main use of it at the time. So, yeah, we try to educate with everything that we do, even the names of our beer, um, you know, the 1790 or 1794 Red Rye IPA. Uh, you know, that was in tribute to us being ground zero for the Whiskey Rebellion in 
uh, early on whenever they had to uh, get beer to the masses very quickly. Uh, think it of uh, maybe equated to kind of like a cream ale made with primarily over 50% corn. Okay. Right? 30%, 50% corn, somewhere around there. Uh, which, simple sugars, you can get it turned around, you can get it out to the masses very quickly. So that's what we did with, with his Bloody Butcher corn. We made a Kentucky Common. Then, uh, a lot of people had it. We were approached by Bedford Springs Resort and said, hey, we need a custom beer and we want it barrel aged. So we worked with our friends from Wiggle Whiskey. They gave us the barrels and we did a Kentucky Common, threw in bourbon barrels for three months, 25 gallons, so we get a lot more service contact. And all of a sudden you have this bourbon barrel aged corn goodness because bourbon is 51% corn. Our grain bill on our Kentucky Commons, you know, almost 40%. Put it all together, and you got the number three barrel-aged beer in the state for 2021 from the farm shelf. And we send the whole batch every three months to the Bedford Springs Resort. So we need to stop by the Bedford Springs Resort <laughs> and before they're we out leave of town. It right now. Oh, they're out of it. Okay. <laughs> of course. It's sitting See? in those three barrels right okay. there, but we can pull you off a thief. Well, what what happens if we deliver it for you? Will it help? Yeah. <laughs> Now, what I really got out of that story with Bob is the relationship with your producers, with your growers, with your farmers, that they can come to you and say, this is what I have. What would you like to do with it? Versus already having some sort of recipe or an idea of what you want to make and then going out and sourcing it. I think that's a great circular relationship where the farmer can start to say, hey, Dave and Mary, I'm starting to grow this. What do you think you want to do with it? And you can start to formulate a beer recipe around just somebody else growing some other grain or something like corn like that. Correct. And, and we use uh, – right now we have three different grains that we get from Bob. His famous Rosen Rye, which you, you guys are familiar with, his Bloody Butcher Corn, and uh, Orange Creole. And the Orange Creole, we make um, our Cashmere Sweater IPA, which is just absolutely fantastic. His eyes just lit up. <laughs> 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 it is it is a, just a fantastic it's a hazy ipa but um that corn gives just such unique flavors but we knew that you know through colonial times whenever they started making beer they had to find sugar somewhere right primary area was molasses and maize so you know this is all stuff that was being used anyway we just kind of brought it back uh the popularity there's not a whole lot of beers out there that have you know 40 to 50 percent grain bills of corn and it's not we're not talking just your normal corn we're using unique um, no you're talking grain heirloom corn, yeah exactly right that, that gives us such a great flavor that you know it hits your palate got great mouthfeel good head retention just does a lot of unique things uh for the beer itself and already enjoyed it one what i recognize and what i appreciate already is when you come to old bedford brewing company you're not just getting a beer. You're getting history. You're getting knowledge. You're getting education. And you're getting a great beer on top of that where you can learn to appreciate. Like you've given me just in this you know, few minutes of talking a, a more of a deeper appreciation for beer and the beer history and what you're producing. So thank you for that. There's that more connection to it. Old Bedford Brewing Company, how did you come up with the name? We wanted to keep it in the history of Bedford and old. We put the E on the old, as in old time. Okay. Bedford. 
And that's why a lot of our decor is old wood, reclaimed wood, wooden live edge bar tops, things like that. Just trying to keep in with the old ways. So we were hoping when people walked in here, they would get a feel of uh, old time Bedford, like old Bedford Village up the road. Then we moved into the bike shop, so we had to incorporate some uh, corrugated steel into the decor to kind of draw the two together. So you get a little bit of old Bedford with a little bit of new Bedford. What is so much fun here is, and I love the way you just put that, old with the new. You're in a space here where you can look over and there's literally this bike shop. And then on the other side, you've got this local farm-to-table um, organic. I, I, I don't want to characterize it organic if it's not. But, it, is. it is. Okay. So it's organic. It's, it's locally grown. Uh, I saw on the sign meats, cheeses, eggs, honey, all syrup, maple syrup, all kinds of things. This is really a nice synergistic space from what you're doing here. Was that the plan? Or is it just kind of happenstance and you have a lot of good neighbors? No. And then when we moved into the space and we wanted to keep it open for the bike shop, and then we started talking to Jess at Wholesome Living, and she said, would you care if I cut open a hole in the wall and made a doorway so we could open it up, our shop also, to your customers? And so then it just kind of grew from there. What I love is that, you know, you can get people that are into biking – and, hey, let's go grab a beer, or people that are into beer, and they go, oh, I'd, I'd like to buy a new bike. And then you've got this whole, well, before I go home, let me grab all, like, your wholesome living. Let me go grab my ingredients, and you all work together. Yep. That's great. You had that experience with your class and the reunion. But what are some of those other aha moments, or what are there some of those experiences where you said to yourself, or in your quiet times together, we're on to something? Also, I guess when other friends would come over, he makes all this beer and we can't drink it ourselves. So we'd have jugs of beer or kegs of beer in our refrigerator outside. And I'm like, you need to get rid of this. So we'd invite friends over, have parties. And these are the yellow beer drinkers. And they were like, hey, I can actually drink this. This is actually good. And so then we decided, well, maybe we could expand it out to the community and because Bedford's kind of a yellow beer community. And we've turned a bunch of people. We've had people come to the bar and say, ah, I, can't, I, can't, I don't drink IPAs. They're too hoppy. They're too bitter. We tried this one. And wow, this is good. And now they're the people that come in and sit down, and that's all they want are the IPAs. That's, that's a great experience. Now, you've also, as you said, you've also won some awards for your beers as well. I mean, when you start out doing home brewing and then going through the process of building a business, what's it like to be notified that, you know, you've, you've won awards for your beer? What's that experience like? It was pretty shocking for us because we didn't expect it. The first year the farm show uh, put in a competitive beer competition for commercial brewers. We got a letter and said, would you like to compete? Sure. We just grabbed a couple things and just threw it, threw it their way and said, here, we did a spruce tip ale and, um, all of a sudden, it won first place. And we also did an orange peel wheat that we had a signature name for it for Fat Jimmy's over here. And it won third. And uh, so we're three years running now with the worst three years running. So it, it's great to be recognized by your peers because we've gotten to know a lot of people from showing up at these events. And then all of a sudden, you know, other breweries, you start making these contacts. 
and what you do here, what you do here, and that is the you know the brewing distilling community. Everybody works well together. I don't think there's any competition really. It's just everybody enjoys the products and then want to know how'd you do this or wow, this is great. Uh, so for us, being recognized by our peers like that was very exciting. And we were up against some big boys too. We were up in Victory was in all those competitions. Trokes, Trokes was in all those competitions. So to be singled out when you're up against you know the big boys like that, that's that's high praise. It is. It really is. And. And, and that idea is like, ah, you know, we got this letter, let's just send some beer off and not expecting too much to come out of it. And it's nice to get that at least, hey, somebody sent a letter and thought highly of us to send in beer. And then you get that, I guess, was it a phone call? Was it a tap on the shoulder? How did they let you know you won? Um, I think it was just an, an email or letter or something like that to, you know, be at the farm show to get your awards. And at that time, we had no idea what place, what awards we got. We just knew we were going to get some. Okay. So, yeah, it was pretty exciting with that anticipation, you're, not knowing if you won the Oscar or not, you know. You're, Dave, you're very even keel, aren't you? You're just – you don't venture away from, like, that neutral area too much. What, my question for you is what gets you excited today? I mean, what – like, is it, is it new recipes? What's, what's that part about you? Like, I love doing this. I'm so glad we started down this path. I, I just think it's more the satisfaction of seeing the customers sit there. I mean, it's uh, it's very anxious for me if I'm you know if I'm working a tap and I pour something for somebody that just just walked in the first time, or an old customer that's had everything on the menu. They're usually the ones that'll give me the straight answer first, right? But for you know folks that are just new to the brewery, they come in, and we have a pretty good tap list that rotates through. Uh, I'm always looking for that feedback, and good or bad, I just that that's exciting for me. That anticipation of what is their face going to look like when they take that first sip? Um, when he's first put something into the bright tank and he's super excited about it, it's something new he hasn't made before. And there's people at the bar, he'll go back and he'll steal some off the, they're, it's not carbonated yet. It, he'll steal it and take it out and be like, here, try this. This is a new one that I'm, I'm trying out. And he loves to hear that feedback. And he, he does that. All the time. If he's in here and you're in here, when he's putting a, a new beer in the bright, you're going to get some of it. Hey, that's the reason why just to hang out here all the time, isn't it? That's right. We have a lot of people <laughs> who do that. I, I, I think that's, you know, that's, you're, you're like, you know, I, I kind of compare that to being, hey, I'm the chef in the kitchen. You would like to be able to walk the room, the, the dining room. And come back out and say, hey, what did you think of your meal? Or how do you enjoy your meal? And that recognition gives you that sense. That's why I said the word itself for you is it's nice. But it's what you get when somebody, as you characterize, walks into your tap room, walks into your brewery for the first time, and then you get to see their experience. And that's what does it for you. Right. Absolutely. Now, you've got this beautiful back. I love this. I, I've said to you, when we look at your Instagram or your social media I thought we were, this whole thing was outside, and it turns out we're inside. You've got this whole stage set up. What was the idea there, and, and, and how did that – was that something you said, hey, we want to have live music, or was that just a, a progression of the business? What were your ideas to do that? Well, we wanted to expand uh, during COVID so we'd have more seating, so we talked to Jim at the bike shop, and he said, sure, you guys can have the rest of that space. So. Then we said, well, we'll make a stage for live music. And then Dave had the idea of making it like an outdoor backyard kind of area where you're just kicking back, listening to music outside. we got the strung lights. I really thought we were I, – I, I, when we walked back – oh, wait. I've seen this space. I thought this was outside. 
but this is great. So you have local musicians play. Um, do you do open mic nights and things like that? Comedy nights? What, what, what's the theme? What can people expect? We do open mic nights. Uh, we also um, give the you know people the ability to host different parties back here if they like. And we've had three different re- wedding rehearsal dinners here already. Uh, trivia nights. Trivia nights. And then we also display local artwork. Uh, lo- local artwork is gorgeous. That's okay. worth the you, 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 This is worth the trip. With the beer, I can't get my eyes off some of these pieces. They they're are beautiful. So beautiful. They really are. Lots of color, lots of detail. So there's like that added, hey, I can look at bikes and I can get my organic food produce and stuff like that. And I've got these beautiful artists out here that I can enjoy looking at. Right. So that, that was the whole idea of this area was to, to have this area entertaining for everybody, whether it's music, sitting and relaxing, playing Jenga, throwing ring toss just looking at the local artwork, observing your surroundings, because it really doesn't stop on the walls that we have the artwork. It just swings all the way around because you can look at, at Fat Jimmy's bike shop and, you know, they've got stuff on the walls. They've got a, a custom chandelier that's hanging over their, their desk. It's made out of all Cannondale frames because Cannondale used to be built here in Bedford. I didn't know that. There you go. Another sense of history. Yes, that was where it originated. It was right here. So the bike frames that are hanging over that chandelier, they had a local artist and, and her friend um, design it. And then and uh, then they had a fabricator come in based on that design, and then they put it up there. So it's a one-of-a-kind. But like I said, it's you know artistic-wise, we, we want to support everything that we can just to give that ultimate customer experience, if you will, whether you're drinking a beer or just walking around looking and talking to people, your friends, family, new, new people that you've never met before, but you've all descended into the brewery at the same time. Well, as you said, this is the town center. Mm-hmm. This is a place for community. And you're creating such a community here with your, with your partners that there are so many reasons why you want to come here. Now, when we come back, we're going to taste some of your beers, which we've kind of wet people's whistles on, and we'll share the idea, and we'll talk about your vision for your beer, okay? Sounds good. Beer Grain Dog Bones. Brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits. Beer Grain Dog Bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. <laughs> We're back, and there is a lot of beer to enjoy, try, and introduce on the table. Mary, you, you've been you've been back there pouring a lot of stuff. Where should we start? Um, I would start probably with the ran- ranch life. Yeah, the okay, ranch life. Ranch life. That was the one uh, we used all our hops from our property. It was a smash. Now, what hops are these? Because you talked about growing hops, and I know there's a whole bunch of different hops. We use Cascade. Cascade. Mm-hmm. And this is an IPL, an Indian Pale Lager. I love the sweetness that comes off the nose there. Now, talk about your vision for your beers. What is it, you know, as you brew your beers, as you create these, what, what's your flavor profile? What's your vision that you're looking to have people experience? It's got to have alcohol in it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's first uh, it's got to have a good nose, and it's and it's got to leave you with a, a nice um, back end where uh, something is lasting that that you enjoy. Oh, uh, I just got a sweet, a sour note to that, uh, a citrus note to that. I mean, it just there's so much different, there's so many different layers as you just let this expand that come off on this. So we wet hop that. So we picked the we picked our cascades. And within three days, they went right into the brew kettle. 
And of course we use it at different stages, but we use this um, towards the end of the boil to kind of keep a lot of that nose alive. And, um, you know, I mean, back in the day, even today, I love using Cascade hops. Cascade, Centennial, some of those, you know, traditional ones that, um, that a lot of folks don't use anymore. But I mean, you know, Bell's Too Hearted, I mean, it's a Centennial. It's a fantastic beer. It's always one of the best ones in the, in the U.S. But um, you know, this one in particular is, like Mary says, a smash beer. We use one malt, one hop. So we use uh, Weirman's uh, Munich malt. Uh, and then our Cascade hops and wet hopped it. And then we used a, uh, um, we actually used a Kvake yeast, um, Utra, uh, to kind of give it that IPL finish. Now for me, I love the nuttiness on the finish. I love the mouthfeel on this. There's there's not a heavy amount of carbonation or effervescence. Mm -hmm. um, there's such a sweetness, but then you get the grains that kind of meander through. Um, you do still get a little bit of yeast on that. But I think that the, the whole barley kind of brings it all together and smooths it out. That's a delicious beer. Yeah. That, that Munich ball gives you some of, the, some of those caramel notes that you're tasting. I love the caramel nutty notes yeah, on nice. here. This is just delicious. This is like this is like the first we, we had two beers I remember at the American Whiskey Convention, and I think those were all you brought. And I was like, mm -hmm. "Where more? I want more." <laughs> so this is a nice transition. This is great. This is delicious. Yeah. So we named it Ranch Life because our our ranch is called Hideaway Ranch. And that Hideaway is, Ranch. Yeah, and it's also a, a location for us, too. So it's a certified location that we can hold events and, and store our oh, beer, perfect. serve our beer, things of that nature up at the ranch. It's 65 acres up in the mountains. So what kind of events do you have? You, you obviously have events there. We did a Jeep cruise in for the last three years. So we have um, people come in with their Jeeps. People come in and don't have Jeeps, and they'll hop into somebody else's Jeep, and then you just ride the trails Dave has all the trails marked, so you know which way you're going and what trail you're on. So in 2022, what is the date for your Jeep in? <laughs> It'll be July. Probably the third weekend. So come out here for the second weekend. You head out and you enjoy Whiskey Rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion Festival, and stay another week. Enjoy your beers. Enjoy this area of Pennsylvania and finish up your time at your ranch mm -hmm. at the Jeep Inn. Yeah, and you can camp there. Uh, we've got two ponds. You can fish, and you can do all that. We work with uh, Bedford Jeep here in Bedford, and they bring up their new model Jeeps, and just leave the keys in them and say, "Here, have fun." Uh, it's it's great. So we had, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, we've had some you know new gladiators sitting Mojave gladiators. We've talked about there, making you know. the fermented adventure Jeep and getting that together. So I this might. <laughs> So awesome. that would be great. I love that. See, you guys, you talk enough. There's so much more that comes out about what you do and how you do it and the history here and all the things you were showing us. And we'll talk more about that. There's another beer. Which is the next one you wanted to work with? Oh, there are ours too. Yeah, these are yours, these are yours as well. So That's, this is the jalapeno that Don. Oh, so I may never. Towards yeah. I may never get that back. This is a hazy IPA in New England style. It's uh, the hazy grain underway. We, Dave brewed this in honor of our daughter, Kelsey, who is in the Navy. And um, she and her boyfriend, they said, hey, you need to make a beer in, in honor of the Navy and call it hazy grain underway. So he did this one. It's 100% Amarillo hopped. So that's the next one we should do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, last year it was the number two IPA in the state. This is so... Yeah. Out of all – now, what makes it number two? Is it – So it was part of the farm show competition. Okay, so that's where and it's measured. In the IPA category, that was second place. Wow. I feel like I'm holding, like, 
I, somebody just handed me like this gold bullion, and I don't know what to do with it, but just don't drop it. Like your coin that you showed me. Our challenge coin. Your challenge coin. So talk about what that's all about. I mean, that that was fascinating. I I know no other brewery that's doing something like that, and that sounds like so much fun. So what do you have to do to be part of the club or the group? Or yeah, the 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 challenge coin is it's more of a military uh, a a military process. But a lot of the other organizations, such as EMS, fire, police, things of that nature, they've adopted as well. It basically is a coin that signifies your team, Uh, and then. You're provided that coin once you're accepted onto the team, either through tryouts or what have you. But once you're on that team, you're on that team for life. And we thought that that would be a great idea for our pub club membership. So we developed a coin with a serial number on it. Uh, and once you bought into that club, you're you're a member of Old Bedford Brewing forever. Uh, and uh, so we, we kind of brought that mentality in basically to say, hey, you know, we're, we're part of it. You're part of us. And uh, let's keep this team thing going. And it's a lot of fun because if, if you now have a coin, if you're caught without it by another coin member, you own a beer. Hmm. And if you do have your coin and someone challenges you, then they owe you a beer. So it's that quiet competition that brings a lot of fun. So what do you need to do to become part of the club? What is there an initiation period? Yeah, well, you pay Mary $150. <laughs> <laughs> the money goes to Mary. Yeah. And then I give you a t-shirt and a mug with, with our uh, logo engraved on it and the coin. That's great. And, and it's then, a 20 ounce mug. So, you you know, when you come in, you get a, a 20 ounce bill for the price of a 16 ounce. Yeah. Very nice. So that's a little. So I, I had to start doing your math to figure out where I, you know, where, where I hit equilibrium. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> So at some point, you're going to hit equilibrium. Thank you. And, and you feel like, oh, I made my money and I got the benefit of that based on the four extra ounces of beer that I get to drink. For some people, that was the, that was the motivation. Or third day that they came in. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot of beer. Not mentioning any names. Okay. No shout outs to any of your regulars then. Now, I love, first of all, just the experience of drinking this beer. I love the creaminess. This is the first thing if I can characterize if I, if I was able to drink a marshmallow, just the, the creaminess and the, 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 the juiciness of this, and there's a nice balance between that, citra, that citrus note and the hoppy note. And again, for IPA you know, people that love IPAs, this is a great IPA. For those that don't like that IPA, this is a great IPA just to just to sit and enjoy. This is one of those IPAs like you talk about that if you say, oh, I don't like IPAs, right? Is this one of the ones you'd pour for them? It, it is. Turn yeah. many people with that particular beer. I can see why you would. I can, and, and this is a um, shout out or a, a nice way of honoring the Navy. Yes. Yes? Yes. Yeah, so there's, really uh, you know, as, as far as that, you know, it's just basically... Two-row barley, a little bit of wheat in there, um, yeast, and all Amarillo. So there's no lactose or anything of that, that nature that's in there. I would imagine no lactose will ever hit your brewery. Uh, no. Dextrose maybe a little okay. bit, but no lactose. <laughs> we're not lactose intolerant. We're just lactose intolerant for beer. <laughs> you, you're not tolerant of lactose for beer. That's right. That should be a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I do not tolerate lactose in beer or something like that. I don't che- know. Cheap sweetness. That is wonderful. 
It really is. It's refreshing. Now, again, I mean, for a lot of your beers, this is something – I don't think this is a more seasonal beer. I think this is an all-year-round beer that I can really enjoy. That's where if you get some of those hoppy you know, beers, it's almost like there are only times you want to drink that. I can say I, I can drink this with dinner. I can drink this with just – you know, I, I can bring this to the beach. There's – I can bring it camping. I can bring it hunting. This is a beer for all seasons. There's nothing that's too restrictive. Yeah. And that mouthfeel is enhanced. I mean, you can see the lacing on the glass. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it really shows up well. I am uh, getting so. Dave, you are now my beer consultant. <laughs> because I've never th- – all right. So this is something, and I'm glad you pointed out, I, lacing on the glass. Yeah. So that's the residual beer that kind of yeah, remains it's, it's, when you're you know, done. You look for that head retention – you know, things that's going to give you that nice mouth feel, that cushion, if you will. Is that from the cream? Is that creamy? No, it's just it's it's from the maltiness. Um, uh, you know that that you, you accentuates you know during the brewing process, uh, and the alcohol itself. So it's it's not like legs on a wine glass or legs on a you know, you know a Glencairn or something of that nature. It's it's different, but it allows you to show that you have a nice firm bodied beer. So yeah, if if this you've Again, I think one of the things that I would say when I walk out of Old Bedford Brewing Company, I'm going to know that I'm going to be more of an educated beer drinker than when I walked in. I'm going to appreciate beer more. And that's what you've given me today, and we're not even done. This is two beers into – we've got 30 more beers to try. (laughs) So, Mary, you're our tour guide. What should we enjoy next? Well, since we're on the IPA, IPL, let's just go with the Flintlock IPA. This has been with us since day one. Flintlock IPA. Now, again, there's a story behind every – the Flintlock's a rifle, right? Right. Well, it's a rifle and or pistol. Pistol. two hanging on the wall over there. All right. For those that don't know, as a podcast or driving, mm-hmm. you poured over my you, you 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 pointed over my right shoulder. So if you're driving, look over your right shoulder. Yeah. So you would you would drive, <laughs> look over your right shoulder, look over the, the top of our bar, and you'll see it on the. Dawn board. will take a picture. It'll be on That's the right. website. <laughs> yeah. That's a rifle that I built when I was in high school, and it's a flintlock. But we had two pre-colonial or two revolutionary uh, flintlock builders here in the county itself, uh, and then we also have a 1772 uh, Danish dragoon flintlock pistol that's hanging and that's an original pistol from the county itself as well so i'm already getting a better sense of how i should be looking with my eyes at a beer by the lacing and what's say what's what's holding on to the glass so thank you for Mm -hmm. that so this gives me a better understanding and expectation of what i'm going to drink right yeah so this is a little bit more fault malt forward it's a little very much style um it's got a mosaic finish to it we use mosaic and the dry hop, you know, just to give you a little bit more nose to it. So for those that you said something important, you said wet hop and dry hop. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? So for a wet hop, is it's commonly referred to as a whole leaf hop that was recently harvested. Uh, it wasn't dried, so it holds a lot of its moisture. Uh, so you haven't dried it down yet, uh, and then that goes immediately into the kettle. Uh, for uh, for dry hop, that means it's dry hop is on the cold side. In other words, it's already everything's already in the fermenter. It's fermenting, so you're dry hopping it with with hops at that time, whether it's pellet or whole leaf, if you if you will. Where did all this for you come in to learn? I mean, was it is it just a thirst for I want to know all these things about brewing? Absolutely, yeah. He's, he's a get, researcher. Yeah, you get kind of bored with the just the mundane mediocrity of beer. Right, so you want to explore since you know beer has been being made since you know 10,000 BC. You want to look at 
how did they do it? You know, what did they do that was so different? And they consumed it, you know, by the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of gallons. So what piqued their interest, what kept them? And, you know, the beer today is much more advanced than what it was yesterday. Um, but they still wanted it, right? People still craved it. And it's high nutrition. Um, you know, those carbs go to all the right places. I like to say our beer have no carbs for all the healthy people out there, but everybody <laughs> knows we're lying. But it's so still, for the it's, unhealthy it's, people, what do you tell them? <laughs> Drink more. But beer is food anyway. So that so that's that's the whole thing is we want to you know medi- mediocrity is is not part of our game. We really like to challenge people's palates and their interests, but still stay in a lot of those style guides. But it sounds like you, know? you want to challenge yourself too. Oh sure. You know you're not you're not just satisfied. I mean you're okay with look. I'll tell you what. Three beers in. These are exceptional beers, and I can understand why you've been given awards for what you brew. But it sounds like you're uh, you're comfortable, but you're not satisfied. You're content, but you want to always learn, get better, and strive. Because look, as the um, beneficiary for Dawn and I, as your consumer, somebody that becomes big fans of yours, they always know, hey, what's going to be coming out of your brewery that's going to give them a whole new experience, that's going to be a whole new level of beer which I think makes it difficult for other breweries to keep up with you guys. Not that there's a competition, but I think within that brewery space, there's a, a collegiate competition, right? If you do well, I do well. Right. It's not like you know you have to be number one by stepping on number two. Correct. You can be number one by striving to be better than you were yesterday, right? And I think all breweries are that way. I mean, everyone that I know that's, that are friends of ours that are brewers, we're always challenging each other. Hey, did you try this? Did you try that? Uh, you know, good friends of ours. Hey, can you sit down with me and help me out on a recipe? I'm not sure I never did this one before. Yeah, sure, fine. And I do that all the time. I'm always, you know, brewery shopping, talking to the brewers wherever we go, If you know, if they're around. Um, hey, I really like this beer. How did you do it? And 99% of the time, let me tell you. you know, I mean, that's how it works. And you're never going to make it the same way. No. Your grains may be different. Even the water the used may be different. The huge difference. Right? Yeah. Water makes a huge difference to everything we do. That's the nice thing we tell everybody. Mary likes to say this too. Someone will come in and, and – because we don't discount for growlers. But we don't – we only sell 32 on 16-ounce growlers for a reason. It's because we don't want our beer to go to waste because it's a 64-ounce growler – you may like it, she may not, but she'll drink a little bit of it, and then you know you have twelve ounces left that sits in the fridge. And so we right, and, and it's fresher if it's in the smaller. But you know, basically, you know what I'm getting at is, is that whenever you're trying all these different beers, where we go to other breweries, we're always looking for that. Wow, I wonder if I can make that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's like the idea. Like, I'm, I'm a trained, you know, I went to Johnson Wales. I'm a trained chef. We go out to dinner. I'm like, I can, I can make that. Or I wonder, I want to take my own spin on it. I want to make that. I understand the mentality there, I, but it's, it's. You're always being creative. You're always thinking. But that's a compliment to whoever made that beer and saying, I really like this beer. I just want to, you know, I want to recreate it. It's like these artists. I mean, they have all. You have inspirations and influences, right? So you take those techniques or those ideas of what your art that you're making, and you just pay homage to whoever you are inspired by. So that's what you're doing. Right. You're paying homage to those brewers you're inspired by. We're very fortunate that we have the water that we do because Dave does not have to really adjust for the water at all in his recipes. 
too much to him. That being said, you could take his exact recipe and make it from water somewhere else, and it's not going to taste the same. That's the same. So what beer should we try next? Let's go with our Patriot Pale Ale. This okay. is probably one of the first beers we made also. Always have it on the um, menu. Now, I say that, and I ask the question. Again, I'm already starting to just the, the pale ale. Just this is such an easy drinker. This is I hate the word smooth, but I'll use smooth. That's our number one seller, and like we were talking about, people yellow beer drinkers. That's the one that most people go to when they come in when they're trying to transition. And like you said, it's a smooth, easy drinker. What's the dryness at the end? What contributes to that dryness at the end, the dry mouth feel at the end? What? Yeah, so the, we, we had, uh, it's fully attenuated out as far as yeast goes. So we basically pull almost all the sugars out of it uh, at the end of the day. It's still a 5% beer, um, but we, uh, there's not very many residual sugars that are left to give any sweet feel. So we basically brewed this for our Yingling, Coors Light, Miller Light. Uh, drinkers and we had it on since you know the beginning and the adage was as people walk through the door and always say hey what do you like they'll look at the list what do you usually drink i drink yingling what do you got here try this oh i drink miller light what's that taste like i said it's miller light with flavor and oh okay got it you know and then and then they'll drink it so that's basically the beer that we like mary said it's our transition beer uh, for people what i hit on and what resonates with me about this beer is where, and again, there are other beers that you get that initial mouth taste, the flavor, and then we just you're just drinking. It's like wetness, right? Mm-hmm. That's there's no flavor, there's no character, but there is there are nuances of this beer that just kind of linger in your mouth, that linger on your palate. One of the things that does resonate there's a, there's a lot of dryness to this, and that's why I asked what contributes to that dryness of the beer because the other three beers that we've had so far. It wasn't this main mouthfeel that kind of dries out, but I'm still getting some some nuttiness. I'm getting even like a sour note, almost like a uh, like a sour starter for a sourdough bread that kind of comes through there. So that's my experience with the beer. Mm-hmm. But I can certainly see, hey, this is nice. This is easy. If if you want to do an introductory beer here and you want to start to get an idea of what Old Bedford Brewing Company does, this is a good place to start. If this is where you've been drinking. But then you've had so many other choices to go to and just expand your palate. Right. Yeah, just, and we have regular customers that come in, coin holders, or challenge coin holders, public members, and that's all they drink, which is fine. This is great. They don't venture outside of that. Well, it's fine because you're brewing it, so you want yeah, people to drink it right. too. <laughs> but we do, we do push them towards other things, such as the ranch life. Um, a lot of the Patriot folks, oh, try the ranch life. This guy came out with this. Oh, wow, that's, that's pretty good. You know, so we can we can kind of nudge a little bit this way, nudge a little bit that way, and expand our palates up. We're only halfway through, and I love all four beers. Mm-hmm. This is delicious. They all so have really great flavor. I, I have high expectations for the next four. Where should we go next, Mary? You're like our, our beer tour guide. I'm going to shoot over here to the raspberry wheat. Oh, yeah, I've been dying so for that one. Now you talk about the water. Is there something about? I'm going to say water because I'm from Philadelphia. Water. You talk about your water. Now, what is it? Uh, again, is it something about the area of water? Is there is there a level of limestone? Is there some so where it's drawn from? Well, so this is ground surface water here. Uh, so to give you an example, in the middle of the summer, coming out of the taps, 
water taps. It's 70, 72 degrees. Um, but so there, there is stuff that they have to add in to, to try to pH balance it out. But it's always balanced. I mean, we have a great water authority here in the borough of Bedford, so they're always able to balance that out. So it's easy for me to know where am I starting, is, you know, my, that 7% or that, that 7 pH balance range to move things a little bit if I have to, you know, add a little bit more salt in order to bring out the, accentuate the hoppiness of the hazy grain underway or something of that nature. So the, the ability to know that I'm starting out with something that balanced, and they don't put a lot of chemicals in like chlorine and things of that nature. They they adjust things different ways. So, you know, we'll send a sample off to Ward Labs like everybody other brewery does and see what's going on there. But uh, realistically, mineral content and things of that nature um, uh, is, is excellent. So much so is that's what the Bedford Springs Resort was built on. Bedford Springs Resort was built on the fact that, um, you know, back in the colonial times, the Native Americans in this area used to talk about the springs. Now, they're not hot springs. They're mineral springs, right? about the medicinal purposes of these mineral springs. Well, Dr. John Anderson came in and said, well, I'm going to capitalize on this. And that was the start of the Bedford Springs back in the early, early 1800s. So, yes, the water around here has great qualities. I think this is, again, one of those other, you know, so you're doing farm, you're, you have local, you know, local farmers that are creating your grains and your corns and you're growing your own hops. And don't discount, and, and really, why your beers are so flavorful and delicious is the water itself from what you have to access. This is a major value where other brewers may start with that handicap where they're using more of a local water, as you pointed out. They have to do things to manipulate the water or do things so that they can get some of those impurities out or not even use local water at all. But this is like when you go to the Jack Daniels distillery, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're drawn from their own spring Right, right there in Tennessee, right. um, and other um, the other distilleries, you know, you go to, and they value the water so much. In you know Kentucky, a lot of that limestone is what helps to contribute. And as you pointed out, look, I can I can make this beer where I live. I can use your same recipe and same build for all the grains and every. I can follow everything you say you did. It's not going to taste the same, right? And it just comes down to the water, too. Yeah, And we tell everybody water is the most important, without a doubt. Even on our ranch, we have the original spring house right there. When we were doing home brewing, we were using that spring water. Um, that They used to distill on our ranch as well back in the day. But, you know, you can see why the distilleries were pervasive through this area all the way up into the mountains uh, here at Blue Knob, which is known as the Schweitz Mountains. Notice the uh, what mountains? Schweitz Mountains. Schweitz Mountains. Because it's, there's a big German settlement back, you know, up through here. So they call that the Schweitz. I love. That is amazing. Yeah, the berry notes that just, you just almost, I, it's almost like eating like one of those berry candies, right? That just continues to give and give and give. And this such a wonderful flavor to them. This is, this is tremendous. I could nose this all day. You could nose that all day. <laughs> But that's part of the experience, right? Yeah. And and see, to me, it's I don't think beer as much gives off the nose of a wine, for instance, or even a bourbon, for instance. But there's a lot that you can expect from just nosing a beer and just that that um, the, the introduction, sure. What the the overture of what you're going to have on a beer is is that important again? Is that is that something you think about? It is the nose. It is, and it, as a matter of fact, you know, whenever we are developing our recipes, you know, based on you know, more or less the 
the, the science behind the hop additions and the length that the hops survive, you know, for aroma and taste and bitterness and things of that nature. You know, we've moved most of our stuff towards the end of the boil um, versus the old, you know, homebrew method of, um, you know, Papazian saying, hey, okay, go ahead and throw your hops in at 60 minutes. Um, and then, you know, another hop at, you know, 50 minutes, another hop at 45. Well, a lot of those aromas and notes are gone after the first, you know, 15 minutes. They're history. This is exactly right. equating to so, when you're cooking something, right. why do you add fresh herbs at the end Correct. and they won't cook out? It's just, right. But you've understood it and you figured it out. And a lot of people don't figure that out. Well, I mean, it's, and, you know, and for us, there's a, there's a lot of people out there like me. And we, you know, we didn't go to the formal you know, schools as far as, you know, brewing goes, we, brewing of hard knocks and working with friends of ours that are mentors to us for brewing, you know, that we look to that's been doing it way longer and way better. Uh, so you're continually learning all the time. And, you know, we'll go to, uh, you know, Brew Your Own Magazine, run special education seminars, that we'll go to Asheville and sit down and go through a seminar and then go out and drink. But, um, you know, hit Green Man and all the rest of the great places in Asheville and learn from those folks and, you know, you walk into Anchorage Brewing and you'll see, you know, twenty foot fodders that are sitting there. And you're like, oh, man, I wish I could do that. You know, and that. But they, you know, so you learn from those those folks as well. We're just a small hometown brewery that tries to do fun stuff. That's, I mean, that's that's. I think you've touched on it a number of times in the podcast. The community of brewers and how it's important that everybody wants to help each other. If the quality of beer, if the quality of the brewery continues to rise, it's going to continue to bring more people in that want to have this kind of a beer or this kind of experience versus just, I'm just going to grab a beer. I just, uh, we'll go out and we'll just grab a beer, right? And the brewing industry is still, I think, at the infancy of where it possibly could be in the next even five, ten years as far as what you will see coming out of just the difference, even the differences of what you're brewing are just over the top incredible from no. what I, I can honestly say we, we've had. This has just been a – we have three more beers that you poured. I don't even know if we're going to get to those. It's just Well, you <laughs> had two more. <laughs> yeah, we're saving our jalapeno. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot. Yeah. I have two more. What's the, I, I see a stout there, and I'm assuming that we're going there next. We are. We're going to do the uh, rose and rye. <sighs> All right. So this is like a whole rose and rye weekend for us. So um, we're heading down to Mount Vernon Distillery. And uh, Steve Bayshore and uh, Lisa Roper Wicker and a, a bunch of people are showing up to do another Rose and Ride distillery, a distillation. Um, Stolen Wolf, and this is all coming out of Bob McDonald, Dancing Star Farms, and the um, and Laura Fields and the Fields Foundation. This is a great thing for Pennsylvania. Oh, absolutely! Right now, you're part of this. You're part of the Rosen experience, and this is this is truly Pennsylvania, right? It is. So, so talk about your experience, and what what is this? This is a Rosen Rye. It's called our Rasputin Rye IPA, and obviously, Rosen Rye came over from Russia, uh, you know, in the early 1900s, and um, was grown throughout the nation as a distiller's choice. And then Laura Fields from uh, you know, Fields Foundation, American Whiskey Convention. She commissioned Bob McDonald from Dancing Star Farms, as well as Penn State and another grower down in Lidditz to to go ahead and grow some of this rose and rye. And then we were actually able to get the first run. Well, it would have been the second year's run of 
of this rosin rye. And then we worked with our friends from Wiggle to get a rye whiskey barrel to even more enhance the, the flavor of the rye. So this particular uh, rye IPA has been barrel aged in a rye whiskey barrel. So you should be getting some of those. Notes. I'm getting rye all day. <laughs> I am. And, and one of the characteristics of the rosin that I can pull out, even on, there's a little bit of undertone. It's like this, this field of flowers, this floral note to the the nose but even even the first sip you get is just so um full of floral flavor Mm -hmm. and then i think the barrel takes over and you really get this nuance of rye in the barrel i mean it's almost like i just feel like i just the finish on this is finishing up with the seeds of rye if you had a good rye piece of rye bread Mm-hmm. That the, the, those seeds, when you bite into them, they pop, and that's what this finishes with. Yeah, and we we do other rye beers as well, but the Rosen Rye was just fantastic. So much so, we did that Kolsch that we provided to you guys down at the American Whiskey Convention. And that the thing about this rye compared to other rye, European rye and, and rye grown in Canada, is that there is a unique um, floral sweetness to it. That is different. And from everything that I read and talking to people like Laura, that was one of the things that drove the early distillers to Rose and Rye. What that was that flavor profile. That is unique. That is really good. And you left me a lot. Thank you. Well, because I, I see the looks on your face. So There's such a, a value that you have to history. But what's it like for you to be part of the whole Rosen experience? You know, so, so for us, understanding the history of it as well. Uh, knowing that it was just used for distilling, for us being able to create a beer with it, not knowing whether or not throughout history anybody else made beer with rosin rye, we know we did, and that's that was really important for us uh, to kind of bring that into another craft uh, versus just distilling. This is tremendous, and and what is I mean, you talk about the response that you get from your guests, your you know, the people that come here, what's, what's overall, and, and as you share with them that this is rose and rye and you talk about the history, what's that like, you know, what's the response like overall? This is like, unlike any beer you'll ever have anywhere. Yeah. Right. People love a story. And if you're able to give them a story when they're drinking a beer, it just enhances their experience. So I feel like people enjoy that. You sit down. Well, let me tell you about this beer. Yeah. This is one of those beers. I mean, this is, I would almost, as you talk about the rye and a sipping whiskey or, you know, this is one of those beers that I just want to sip because I think it changes as you go. As it warms up to it, releases, just like any craft beer, as it gets a little warmer, it releases more and more flavors. I mean, that's why we like to do cascales because cascales are served at cellar temperature. So we'll take one beer, we'll put it on tap, we'll say have that same beer condition in a cask, and people can taste the difference. Now, when you say condition in a cask, that's just... A five-gallon cask? How, how big is the cask we're talking so about? So the ones that we use are, are called pins. So they're five-gallon okay. casks. They're, they're stainless steel casks that has two bungholes in them. Uh, and then, you you know, you tap one of them. But when you're conditioning it, you pull the beer out prior to full um, attenuation. So the, the, the yeast hasn't gobbled up all the sugars yet. So you want to be able to carbonate the beer and condition the beer. Uh, so you pull it out with about... Oh, you know, five percent left, and then you put it in the cask, close up both the bungs, and you sit it there and let it condition in a normal room temperature environment, which allows that yeast to still be active. But since CO two is one of the byproducts, um, 
of the fermentation process, it's, it's forced to infuse into your beer. And for us, being on the historical nature, we like to explain to people, they'll go, oh, well, it's just a little flat. Say, well, no, it's not flat. Just give it a minute. And then they'll realize, no, there's, there is carbonation there. There is, you know, flavor profiles and flavors that they can't taste when it's coming out of a tap at 38 degrees. Uh, so that's how you would have drank it if you would have been back here during colonial times. Or just go to our friends over in, you know, England or Scotland, you'll see a line of Cascales. Yeah. And that, I love them. I, I think they offer the best flavor profiles. But so do our, a lot of our customers. Now that they've been introducing the cask, you know, they'll, they'll do it. We did a, a Munich Dunkel for um, uh, the commemoration of, of the, our borough's new firehouse and EMS buildings. So we did it on cask as well. So we actually had the cask at the commemoration on the, on, you know, on, and uh, people loved it. The next day they came down, we finished it off on the beer engine. And uh, people just love to watch beer. You make a beer off the beer engine, right? You don't pour it, you make it. Uh, so people just love watching that beer make as that infusion just starts to go up to the top and build that creamy head at the, at the surface. And then the flavors are just incredible. I have another question, but I want, which way should we go next? We're going to do the stout. <clears throat> this is our imperial stout. Twist my arm. 10%. So my question is, what do you think it is that a lot of brewers, like you talked about, like if you go to England, cask ales or cask beers are more what you'll find. I don't think I see as many brewers right now doing those cask beers. Why do you think that is? Or why do you think, at least for you, why you're doing it? It doesn't seem like many in the industry are. I think it's just everybody's been stigmatized by, I mean, how many Coors Light commercials have you seen where it says, you know, we double freeze it at minus chill 16 filter degrees or whatever, and yeah. filtered and drink it ice cold. Um, and then people expect the beers to be ice cold because that's when it tastes the best for those style of beers. Um, so of, I think they're conditioned to that. A lot of times you go to a bar and they'll pull out a, a glass out of the freezer and it's a chilled glass. And Dave will always say, can I please have a glass that's not chilled? Because he wants to get the flavor from the beer versus just get that first cold. You lose all the flavor on that. This is very fascinating. From a standpoint that is it really about the experience of, hey, if you have – it's like anything else. Like if it's warmer, you're going to get more – your, your mouth is not going to be desensitized by the, 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 the cold, by the – It's easier to drink that way too. Right? I mean – and that's your mindset. That's your philosophy of what people are going to experience in your brewery. So what, has anybody ever come and say, hey, do you have a cold glass? Do you have, a, do you have an ice cold glass here? That's not been your experience. No. No. Never. But most of the people that come in – But I'm going to think about you guys now. every time I see somebody pull a, a glass out of the freezer now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to think, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> right? yeah. And, you know, with, with uh, the, the bigger, you know, the, the breweries that are getting their simple sugars from, you know, corn syrup, fructose, and, and rice and things of that nature, as, they, as that warms up, it doesn't taste very well. Uh, but the complex sugars that you're getting from all barleys and wheats and things of that nature, as they warm up, they just explode with flavor and aroma. Um, and it's fun having that conversation with, with the yellow beer drinkers. As much as that raspberry wheat, and I love the nose on that, and, you know, stout-wise, I mean, there's so much cocoa on this. I almost get that 
when you open up the can of – they pull the metal top off the, the Hershey's cocoa mm-hmm. and that powder gets in the air. I get this on the nose. I'm getting um, – I don't know why uh, – you know, like, like this uh, – the Count Chocula. <laughs> I'm getting Count Chocula on the nose. Mm-hmm. This is such a, a – a, just a, a very cocoa chocolatey nose to this. Oh, is that barrel aged? No. no. A lot of people think it is. It does. It has not. that taste to it, doesn't it? What is giving – yeah, I yeah, would agree. There's like this really... – there's an essence of like oak – on this or barrel on this what's giving it that nuance so the only thing that i can think of is, is your palate is picking up the alcohol and all right you know, so it's, it's so what's what's sitting the, at, it's sitting at 10 percent. 10 percent. yeah all right so it's that there's almost like this bitter but it almost like kind of meanders to wood in a way like that that oaky flavor to it there is a lot of grain in that beer yeah we didn't boil it we didn't boil it down either to get the higher abv so you, you shouldn't get any of the darker roasty notes it shouldn't be real super roasty i still get i mean i'll tell you what i still get coffee i get mm-hmm. roasty I, I get a little bit of a bitter into it but it's a pleasant it's almost you know i'm almost like there's there's a there's this tobacco a little bit of a tobacco that comes and goes in there that this is such a wonderful experience for a stout could you guys serve a bad beer right please <laughs> Well, better not be the next one. <laughs> yeah, this is so that, our, like Mary said, we made that for a Celtic band called Full Kilt. So that's oh, our Full okay. Kilt Imperial. And uh, they debuted it here. They played here. And uh, we had it, both taps going in the back here and the taps up front. And we canned it. And uh, it, uh, it was a great response. And plus, you know, good music, good beer, uh, you know. And then we have a friend of ours that made chocolate chip cookies out of it. And... Uh, I want to make brownies out of that too. I do it. I, you know, I guess we've never thought about cooking with beer, but there's so much variety of flavor I want to do with that. That's delicious. Oh, thank you. I mean, you know, we're. I mean, if anybody knows, we're stout porter. I mean, yeah. we like the brown stuff mm-hmm. um, more, more so, and that's just tremendous. And this is where we say, we, we, we. You know, it's like that idea of anticipation when you see on. Uh, if you go to a website or you see a tap list and you walk in, and then you're underwhelmed. If anybody comes to Old Bedford Brewing, they are going – expect more because you're going to be given more. And that's what you've delivered so far. I know you're waiting on the last one. Go ahead. I mean actually there's root beer too. That's to cool you down after That's to cool it down after I'm not even going to touch this. I'm not even going to – so, oh, so sure. we made, we made that for our local firehouse. Uh, it's called 31 House Ale because that's the name of our firehouse, 31 House. So we, we did that as a benefit beer for them. Now what's – all right. And this is where I think these are as standards or as what people can expect. But moving forward, what are some of the beers that you're still even thinking about that you haven't brewed yet? Yeah, so we want to do a lot more mixed fermentations. Now mixed fermentation, what does that mean? So basically you're using different um, yeast strains to achieve the end result. And we're going to do the mixed fermentations in barrels, uh, you know, to try to get a play on, on a lot of the chaos that goes on while you're barrel conditioning. You're going to need more space for your barrels, what I hear. Well, I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I talked about that 20-foot fodder. We could almost fit one in here. Okay. Know? So, you know, I haven't had that discussion with Mary yet, which probably won't last very long. But By the way, <laughs> did you know this now, Mary? And this, this is, is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news on the podcast. <laughs> 
but you know, a lot of those uh, Belgian styles and, and uh, a lot more uh, Finnish styles, you know, where we're using Kvake yeast and some of the older yeast, maybe some natural wild yeast, you know, from juniper berries and things that are naturally drawn, you know, on the wild beer side. So I'd like to push more towards, you know, some of that, um, those styles of beer, uh, the gozas and the goes and, and things that you can, you, you can really experiment with. That's going to be hard different. in this environment. I would imagine, so you need, I don't know about your ranch, but then there's a whole bunch of other things you have to deal with, but you're right, wild fermentation, mm -hmm. and just, look, if you're putting out these amazing beers, I can't wait to taste your gozas and, and all the other, I mean, there's so much here in the environment that you can draw from to make some just totally different beers that nobody's ever had before. I mean, it, a lot of people think the sour beers, oh, that's just a new craze. No, the sour beers were some of the first beers ever created. So, you know, they've been around for centuries. So, you know, those, those explorations I think will be a lot of fun. Do you know why I think it's a craze is because I don't think there are or have been a lot of brewers doing them well. And when you taste a really good sour beer and you experience that, it's like anything you've ever had in your whole entire life, Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we the, the That's the thing. You can yeah. say, "Oh, I've had a sour beer. It was, I, I just didn't like it. It was horrible, sour." I, you know, but if you, you get just that whole experience, it's a whole just beer your mind is blown as to what beer can do. And it's great having uh, wholesome living next door because uh, Jess is a great chef herself. So she makes a lot of our simple syrups. So we went to there's a, a little restaurant downtown called Next Door. And I went in there this summer. We were on a trip, and uh, Lindsay was working in there. I said, "Hey, Lindsay, I need a lemonade or something. It's it's hot. We're driving." So she made me a, a, a lemon lavender lemon lemonade. I got it in the car. I said, "Mary, we should make a sour out of this. This would be perfect." Well, we have a local lady that grows uh, food grade lavender, and uh, so she heard about it that we were going to make. She brought in two pillowcase size full of lavender. So we took it over to Jess. Jess made. Simple syrups for us, and then we did a sour with the lemon lavender. And we said, well, while you're at it, Jess, you make pickles. So we did a big dill pickle sour. Um, That's just, wow. I, so, you know, holy so she cow. Did, she did all of the simple syrups over there, brought them over here, and we made a series of sours with them all. Right? We also had a black cherry and cayenne pepper oh. sour. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, it's, it, it's the uniqueness of the flavor profiles you can really experiment with. I mean, you wouldn't do a black cherry, cayenne pepper, pale ale. It just wouldn't work out right. Right. You know, it just doesn't even sound good. Um, but you, you know, you put that little bit of sour oh, in you know. <laughs> This beer, see, I know Dawn loves the, the, the heat. She loves the habanero. But what I really enjoy about this is it's not the, the habanero takes over. Right. You still, you know, you're drinking a beer. Mm -hmm. And some of the habanero or some of the different I hot it. beers. I I feel it oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But. You don't feel it's it's a balance here. Yeah, you get the warm heat of the habanero, but you don't feel like like I don't need to cool down with a root beer, but I'm just fascinated by the root beer. <laughs> <laughs> so so with that, I, I think that's a nice, you know, it, this to me is something I like to have in the summer. I mean, I yeah. just that's that's to me what would be fun. It pairs and, great with barbecue. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly. Yeah. I was a grilled chicken or or something like that. Wings. Or, yeah. Or even, you know, I'll tell you what, I would make a nice base of a barbecue sauce out of that and do something yeah. with that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that would I mean, be it's, it. It, so we, and we've had mixed reviews on it. We have some people that come in, oh, it's too hot. Other people come in and drink it by the pintful. And then the other hot. thing that <laughs> some of our folks, they'll take the hazy gray and do three-quarter glass of hazy gray and one-quarter of 
the jalapeno pilsner and mix it together. I can see months. that. And yeah. and now people come in and tell up and is, um, you know they'll they'll come in and just say you know I'm gonna have this guy's pour and you know, immediately we know who they're talking about saying oh, okay you know we'll have that. One. This is so, wonderful. I mean, what you have done for the community and this is, you know, when you look at the ability to revitalize or um, when you look at where you can accentuate a community, what you're doing is exactly what helps a community grow. This becomes a destination. Whether they hear about you at the farm show or at the American Whiskey Convention, look, Dawn and I are here because we met you at the American Whiskey Convention. And now, look, I mean, and again, this isn't, this isn't us being Pollyannish or, you know, because you're on the podcast, you're making amazing beers. We just need you to move closer to Philadelphia <laughs> because you're going to do these releases. You're, you're talking about these sours and all the things you have like in, in your mind. And I'm like, I'll see it on social media and I'll go, oh, yeah, look, their new release can't have that one. You no, know? just say road trip. <laughs> there you go. You're only three hours away yeah, from Philadelphia. This is great. Root beer. Go for it. All right, go for it. So this is our Indian Eve root beer. We, Indian Eve. So who is Indian Eve? Indian Eve was a young lady that was kidnapped by the Indians early in the colonial times. She was she was then taken, extricated from, from Pennsylvania up into uh, the, Michigan. In Michigan. And then after four or five years, she was able to return, whether escaped or just returned. And then she brought with her this history. And there's an Indian Eve foundation, her original uh, luggage is over at Fort Bedford Museum that was donated by a family member that was just here just a couple of months ago. So anyhow, we decided to dedicate a root beer to her and her history. But like I said, we also make an Indian Eve root beer like a dessert called our Tally Ho, where we work with our friends from Big Springs Distillery, use their Talleyrand bourbon cream, and now you have a dessert drink to end the evening. I'm just going to say, Tally Ho! That's right. That's what we're supposed to say, That's right? That's right, Tally Ho. Everybody will know. All right. So I guess maybe because in life I've been tainted by Hires root beer. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And I know there's a whole big dad's root beer craze, and I just find that to be over alcoholy. That's just me. What I really enjoy is this is not overly sweet, and you actually get to taste like root beer. Yeah, root beer. Like it's a root. You're you're tasting the root of the beer. But you're not overly the viscosity of the mouthfeel. It's it's not as heavy, sweet, laid down by like you mentioned corn syrup or sugars. This is this is actually nice. I could honestly see making again. I want to take like you think. All right, I can make a barbecue sauce out of this. I could do a lot of different things with this. But adding this to a bourbon cream, I just want to do that now. Yeah, <laughs> it's very good. But we you know what we had friends of ours that uh, so we ran out of root beer one night. And uh, so good friends of ours that love Tally Ho's, they ran over to the dollar store and they got some, what was it? Generic root beer. Generic root beer, whatever root beer they had. They came back and said, make a Tally Ho out of this. So just for fun, we poured it in a glass, put some bourbon cream in it, and it just immediately curdled. Oh, no way. Yeah, so there must be preservatives or something of that nature, uh, you know, that are in commercial root beers huh. that don't allow you to have... To do it, to do that. Yeah, know? that's interesting. So um, we have people come in and just get growlers full of this just to take home for the kids and themselves. And, and it's nice to Yeah, have they them. say they're bringing home yeah. for the kids. <laughs> it's for them. <laughs> it's nice to have offerings, though, because we'll have people that will come in and say, oh, my husband doesn't drink or my wife doesn't drink. So, well, we got our homemade root beer. Oh, we used to have homemade root beer as a kid. Yeah, it's you really know, cool. we'll, we'll take it and, you know, they'll, they'll drink it. 
I'll tell you what, I, I just wonder, what's the future look like? I mean, as you started out from your original homebrewing gift for Dave and saying, hey, I, you need another hobby. <laughs> what's the future look like for Old Bedford Brewing Company? I just say, you know, for the way I look at it is we want to continue to grow that um, comfortable place for people to visit with a good product, with a great experience. So whenever they leave Bedford or they're you know, from Bedford area, that they always feel fortunate that they can come in and have a place to go uh, that's different, it's unique, and, and, and just gives them a, a great warm feeling, um, that hominess, that neighborhood feeling seeing things that you're familiar with, friends, family. Uh, for me, it's, it's the more that we can grow that, the better. Not competing on the shelves with other beer manufacturers and things of that nature, because this is our retirement job, so we want to kind of keep it in that perspective. All right, so for the next 30, 40 years, this is your retirement job. That's it. <laughs> because once people try, and for the people that know you, I'm like, I'm jealous of people who live here now that get to try and enjoy your beers all the time. Do you – so do you can any of your beers? Do you ship any of your beers? Is it all just, hey, show up and buy a four-pack, whatever? We do can some limited edition stuff. Um, but as far as distribution and shipping, we don't do that. We don't make enough. So uh, if it's any canned beers, it's going to be a limited special kind of thing. And Yeah, you're going to have to come in here to get it. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, But here's the wonderful thing. You're a mile and a half off of the PA Turnpike. You're not that far, and if you're heading through to Pittsburgh or you're heading back to Philadelphia, I will tell you, this is a place that you're going to want to stop. And this is a place that hopefully when you come, you've got the, the, the music going, you can experience the outdoor-indoor feel of this, buy a bike, buy some organic food, and enjoy the great beers. I, you know, buy a piece of art. <laughs> buy a piece of art, too. Mary and Dave, I am so grateful that we got a chance to introduce be introduced to you at the American Whiskey Convention and to you know to thank Laura Fields for bringing us all together and this is what she does she doesn't realize it that she not only is she exposing and enhancing and um, helping people experience Rosenrye which I know is important to her but she's creating such a wonderful community so I'm grateful to you guys you work hard you do this all the time but thank you for spending some time with us on the podcast. Thanks for to, you know just sharing your beer with us. And uh, we look forward to the amazing things coming out of Old Bedford Brewing Company. Yeah, and, and thanks for including us in on this whole program. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad. You know, this is I, I, you know, if we had not ever had your beer, I would have uh, been disappointed in my life. So this is so great. we ask this, the people the same thing every time uh, when they get flights. Did you find one you liked? Mine the whole yeah, yes, I like the whole I like the whole flight. Honestly, they were all so good. It's no, really, no, I, I honestly and again, this is me telling you I enjoyed them all. And yeah, see, here's the thing: it's like, well, if I like an ale or I like um, a wheat beer or I like a stout, no, I mean I like them all. I really did. I, I mean, like yeah, yeah, I mean, can I? Like it's like saying which one's your favorite child. I like them all. Now, if you had four packs or whatever. <laughs> So thank you. Thank you so much for today, and we appreciate this.